Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Game Changing Retail Leaders, presented by SAP, the best run SAP. You'll hear from the leaders who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to anticipate the future, recognize macro trends, and champion innovation in their organizations. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Yes, indeed. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the game changers or drive or walk or whatever your means of mobility is, this is where the best best run. We always say it. We always mean it. And it's true. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. I have an opening quote from two writers named Michael Treacy and Fred Wersima. And I found this on HBR, HarvardBusinessReview.org. And let me read this and then that'll set us up for our topic. They said, customer intimate companies... Let that sink in. Customer intimate companies are willing to spend now to build customer loyalty for the long term. They typically look at the customer's lifetime value to the company, not the value of any single transaction. So just let that sink in. I've dropped a couple of keywords on you. Customer loyalty, long term, lifetime value. But the key is the term customer intimate companies. So let's look at this. This is retail leaders. That's what we're talking about about as retailers continue to react to the market. Now, whether you're a retailer, you're on that side of what I'm saying. If you're a customer, come on, you're all buying something retail, whether it's brick and mortar, click and mortar, online, wherever you are. As retailers continue to react to the market's instant gratification expectations, the pressure to move closer to customers physically, that means more stores, more in-store fulfillment, maybe home delivery, better customer service people on site, who knows. And digitally, that's where we want to gain consumer intimacy. They're dealing with social sentiments. On both fronts, that is straining the legacy supply chain for retailers today. They just weren't built for this, most of them, especially if they've been around for a while. Once built for mass efficiencies, get a lot done quickly and get it done well and move on. These processes are faced with the challenge of being dramatically and perhaps drastically transformed because we're customers and we want it now and we want it exactly the way we want it, when and where. So, how can retailers create a frictionless supply chain, that means one that moves along very well-oiled, with outsourced supply chain providers all over the world? And how can retailers determine the right priorities? What do they do first? Because the world is evolving, economics are changing, social media is changing, consumer trends are changing as I speak. So, welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Game Changing Real Retail Leaders Radio here on on the Business Channel on World Talk Radio. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Special panelist I'm going to introduce in a moment, but a quick shout-out to the sponsor of this series, Stephen Sparrow at SAP. And our topic today is Achieving Nirvana. Everybody let out a collective sigh. Ah, consumer experience meets consumer intimacy. My three panelists today are Chris Calieri, Chief Supply Chain Officer at Tory Birch. Welcome to Chris. Ward Dingman, Senior VP of Supply Chain at Bob's Discount Furniture. Welcome to Ward. And a returning panelist, the first to our new Profil Corinth at SAP America. We'll find out about what he does. So first up, I'm going to ask each of my esteemed panelists to introduce themselves. Just tell us briefly what you do, what your role is, and what your company is up to. Chris Calieri, Tori Birch, welcome. And Chris, tell us a little bit about you, who you are, and what you do, please. Hi, Bonnie. Uh, my title might be misleading to some because uh, in our company, supply chain really means 
development, production, and sourcing of the products. So I actually don't do the logistics and distribution. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tory Birch, for those out there that don't know it, is one of our uh, one of the leading uh, affordable luxury brands in the world. Uh, we do fabulous handbags and ready-to-wear and footwear for ladies all around the world. Thank you very much. And what's your background getting to this particular? It sounds like a big job, Chris. How did you get there? A little bit of background? What prepared you? Uh, I grew up doing uh, management consulting in this industry for many, many years, and then uh, I spent some time working in Adidas uh, before joining Tory Birch. Thank you very much. And those of you not familiar, Tori Birch is named for the founder, American fashion designer, businesswoman, and philanthropist. She's the executive chair and chief creative officer of her own brand. She was listed as the 73rd most powerful woman in the world by Forbes in 2015. And she's a very young lady born in 1966 worth only $850 million. I'm sure she'll make it big someday, Chris. I'm only teasing. Bravo to Tori for her for her brand, her company, and, and we're very happy to have you here. Thank you. Let's move around the table. One seat to Ward Dingman at Bob's Discount Furniture. Ward, tell us who you are, what you do, and a little bit about your company, please. Sure. Good afternoon, Bonnie. Uh, my Hi. name is Ward Dingman. I've been in supply chain now for almost 29 years. I actually had to carry a couple ones when I was adding up that uh, time for the introduction. So the time definitely flies by, but I've been having a great time for almost 30 years now in supply chain. I started my operations career in Bentonville, Arkansas, and as most people would guess, that's the home of Walmart. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's been a short time there, but uh, just a tremendous company, great people then and now, and learned a lot more even then than I realized. Uh, along the way, I uh, worked for a few different consulting companies, uh, again, all focused around operations, supply chain, strategy, and execution, with the most recent one being you know, a while ago, but that was at Accenture in the retail supply chain practice. And in the middle of that, had a good opportunity as a chief operating officer for a 3PL, again, focused in the dot-com period to help other smaller companies uh, fulfill into the retail companies, such as Walmart and Home Depot and and enjoyed a lot of uh, good people there, learned a lot along the way there. And then most recently, really now for almost uh, 15 years, last 14, 15 years, I found my way into the furniture industry and working for three different furniture organizations. And currently, as you noted, I am the Senior VP of Supply Chain for Bob's Discount Furniture. Been at Bob's now just for about six months, enjoying the the growth of this great company, working with really with a lot of talented people here. So it's a fantastic story. And at Bob's, I am responsible for all of the inbound transportation, DC operations and fulfillment, as well as the outbound logistics and home delivery. So we have a lot going on every day at Bob's and uh, glad to be on part of this panel with the other gentlemen. And of course, yourself, Bonnie. Thank you very much. I have to give a little history here. In 1976, future company co-founder Bob Kaufman, or Kaufman as some people might say, was injured in a motorcycle accident. He discovered the benefits of a waterbed for recuperation. It inspired him to become involved with waterbed sales, and in the 1980s, he rented space in 24 New England stores for selling waterbeds. By 1990, the sales had dwindled, and he partnered with Gene Rosenberg, owner of Wholesale Furniture, where he rented had rented the space, and then they went on to blah, blah, 
blah, blah. Bob's was founded officially in 1991. The first store as Bob's Discount was in Newington, Connecticut, and it is ranked 12th in sales among U.S. furniture stores. And as of February 2019, the company has 113 stores in 18 states, primarily in the Northeast, Mid-Atlantic, Midwest, and West Coast. Did I do that right? Was that okay, Ward? Yeah, very good. Have almost 121 stores, but who's counting? But uh, doing very well, yeah. Well, we're just going to have to tell Wikipedia to update their damn information. <laughs> That's all. You know I had that all memorized, of course, before the show. You're exactly. absolutely convinced. I know. I know. I like you, too. Let's move around the table to Profil Karan, industry advisor at SAP America. Profil is not a newcomer to Game Changes Radio. Happy to have you back. Why don't you update us on what you've been doing as an industry advisor? Profil, welcome. Thank you, Bonnie. Um, I've, uh, as you mentioned, I'm an industry advisor at SAP. Uh, our role is really bringing our experience, having worked in the industry, and the areas that I work primarily in is in retail, and I support our supply chain uh, thought leadership, uh, both in retail and consumer products in uh, in our uh, consumer industries practice. Um, like Ward, I, I try to say 25 plus, but it's close to 30 years of <laughs> experience um, in supply chain and post-merge integration. Um, started off in industry at Office Max or Boise Cascade that became Office Max, which later merged into Office Depot. Uh, 12 years there running in supply chains, distribution logistics, and at Navistar, which was a, a trucking company running uh, doing their post-merge integration. Um, and then between the two industry, I spent time in consulting, strategy and operations consulting and supply chain. A couple of them was Kurt Salmon Associates, Alvarez and Marcel, um, Booz and others, uh, really working with retailers and CP companies on strategic initiatives all the way from uh, sourcing to, to execution. So a little bit in Chris's world and a little bit in Ward's world. So that is my role. Um, I also serve in a couple of advisory boards for uh, Texas Christian University Supply Chain Innovation and uh, Florida Gulf Coast University's Supply Chain Program. Thank you. I don't think really the three of you are the three of you aren't busy enough. I don't know what you're all doing. Seriously, I'm teasing. I'm I'm very impressed with your backgrounds. Before we get to the opening quotes, which typically comes now in the show, I've introduced some terminology in my opening and in the title of this episode, achieving nirvana. Well, we all know nirvana is something wonderful, magical. It's a it's a maybe a utopia of something. C- consumer experience meets consumer intimacy, and I mentioned in my quote from HBR uh, the quote from the two gentleman who wrote it, customer intimate companies. Can we just go around the table, please, and just have each of you define what this means to you? Customer intimate companies, consumer intimacy. Chris Calieri at Tory Burch, how do you interpret this? Uh, for, for me, I would say I see it as basically being able to continuously wow our customers over a long period mm-hmm. of time. I mean, uh, at Tory Birch, we're, we're lucky to have a pretty broad demographic in terms of ages. So we have, you know, consumers in their late twenties, early thirties, all the way to their, you know, late fifties and sixties. And, you know, the ability to continue to wow and provide relevant to, uh, relevant products to, uh, to a woman as she, as she grows and evolves in her style and so on is, uh, it takes understanding and it, train, it takes a lot of effort to, to make sure that we continue to offer what she wants. 
Thank you very much. I like that definition. Ward Dingman in a very different industry, Bob's Discount Furniture. How do you define customer intimate companies or consumer intimacy? What's your thought? Different value, probably a different value system. What do you think? Yeah, but along the same lines that Chris mentioned, I, I think it all gets down to providing a very unique service to customers, likely even more than what they even realized they would want uh, on a timely basis, as simple as that. Okay. Is the, the word delighting customers in there somewhere? What do you think? Yeah, delighting, I think you have to do, you know, again, I think the exceptional service is at a minimum. We use that word lightly. But, uh, again, as you said also in the beginning of the statement, frictionless supply chain, no issues, no problems, get it there when expected, and, and provide, again, smile on the face. In our business, we do uh, 57 home deliveries a day, and there's a lot of people to impress, and just a few issues can go a long way in making some corrections. So it's really just delighting the customer, thanking them, and being appreciative of the business that they have, but doing it in a very seamless, um, you know, frictionless manner, again, as you noted earlier. Thank you very much. Good insights there. Profil, how do you define the concept of consumer intimacy and customer intimate companies? What's your thought? Yeah, so, uh, Bunny, as you know, as the title Nirvana stated, and I realized after the fact that my quote came from Buddha, and Buddha actually was the one that achieved the state of nirvana, um, and, and it became now a business buzzword. And nirvana means determination, desire, dedication, and discipline. And it's, it's very applicable to, it's a state of enlightenment, and it's really where, um, as retailers, they want to get closer to their consumers. They want to understand that consumer. They want to buy, understand their preferences, their desires, uh, everything they're putting on social intimacy. So what they want, because retailers are trying to do that. Now, you crossroads of that is not, not, not that you only know what you want, which is, the, which is the intimacy part, but then how did that consumer feel when mm-hmm. they w- with your brand, with your store, with your associates, or even with your products. And I think the crossroads of that, to me, is actually critical. And you mentioned in the Harvard uh, article about co- mm-hmm. uh, consumers for life, that is where I feel is, is the state of nirvana, is how do you get somebody really a almost a fanatic about your products and your brand, but it's, it's a crossroad of knowing what they want with how they felt about whatever experience there was, whether they were browsing in the store or they were purchasing or they were receiving the product at home, whatever that is, the touch point is. To me, that's, that's critical, especially we live in a digital world where all the information a consumer needs is in their palm of the hands. Thank you. We got a lot of good definitions there. Thank you all for being so spontaneous with me. Sometimes we just take a different turn on the show. So now let's formally go to the part where each of my panelists has graciously sent me an opening quote, inspirational quote. We're going to read the quotes with the background of the the source, the attribution, if you will, and ask them to just briefly explain why they picked the quote for our topic today. So Chris Calieri at Tory Burch picked a quote from Sean Covey. I didn't know who Sean Covey was until I read about him, Chris. Young man, born in 1964, American business executive, author, speaker, and innovator, but he wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Teens, and if that sounds familiar to listeners, it's because his father is Stephen R. Covey, C-O-V-E-Y, who wrote The Seven 
Habits of Highly Effective People. And Sean is the president of Franklin Covey Education and other organizations, and he has written many uh, New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestsellers. So here's the quote. Seeing things from a different point of view can help us understand why other people act the way they do. Great quote. Those are words to live by. Chris, how did you pick that for our topic today, please? Well, the first part of the choice really had to do with a story from a former colleague of mine who uh, happened to really go in his career across multiple functions. And he told me one time that, you know, the first few times he kept thinking about just how little sense some of his colleagues on the other functions made uh, and how he thought he had all the answers until he switched to that next function and the next function and found himself saying the exact same thing, the things those other guys were saying. And that's when he realized that uh, it was really about the point of view, the pressures and the, uh, the, 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 the expectations of those particular functions. So I think putting yourself in the shoes of others, it's a really, really hard thing to do. It, it forces you to get out of your comfort zone. Uh, mm-hmm. It forces you to find new solutions um, that go beyond kind of what you might traditionally say, well, this is the answer. And I think for us, creating a, a frictionless supply chain that allows us to get much closer to our consumer and uh, have the best way to succeed in balancing all of the um, <clears throat> challenges that one has in supply chain, so maintaining costs low, having speed to market, having great quality, being able to be responsive and reactive, it's a really, really hard thing to do. Uh, And you can only execute this successfully by working in very close partnership with your uh, partners in design, your partners in merchandising, your partners in the suppliers and planning and so on and so forth. And that means that you have to kind of be able to get out of your comfort zone, understand the different point of views and come and work together towards finding these, uh, you know, transformational ways of, of delivering on the new expectations of the consumer and doing it in such a way that you can win in the marketplace. Thank you very much. Wonderful quote. I think it's another way of saying that I've heard is walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. Am I right about that, Chris? Walk a mile in their shoes and see what they feel like, what their experience is. Yes? And and, and hopefully they had comfortable shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. I should have known you were going to challenge me on that. Yes. Boots, actually. I found the most f- fabulous pair of, of, they look like red uh, suede tool. They have they have little designs in them, little, little boots. I'm a drummer. I'm called the chick drummer in the dress, and I wear these red boots whenever I perform. And one of my, my music teachers said if they had those in a men's size, he would love to have the same exact little red booties. <laughs> really, really cute with about a two and a half inch heel. I'll send you a picture sometime. Ward Dingman has sent us a quote from Henry Ford. Henry Ford, 1863 to 1947. American industrialist. Come on, you all know he's the founder of the Ford Motor Company. What you may not know is that he did not invent the automobile and he did not invent the assembly line, but he developed and manufactured the first automobile that many middle-class Americans could afford. So he took the auto from the category of expensive curiosity. Wow, look at the Joneses. They've got a car. Can we afford one, dad and mom? Into a practical, that was me adding, in a practical conveyance that impacted the landscape of the 20th century. And he introduced the Model T that revolutionized transportation and the American industry. He was one of the richest and best-known people in the world. Here's the quote. Love this one, Ward. Quote from Henry Ford. Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Ward, please explain. 
Well, I think it's uh, simple. I interpret that hopefully the same as most, is that you can accomplish whatever you put your mind to. I think it's indicative of business and just life in general. And I think it's a clever uh, quote that also notes that if you don't have a positive attitude, that you likely won't accomplish anything as well. And then just to add to a little bit of the research, I think you've done well on Ford. I found interesting, too, to your point on the Model T, Bonnie, that, uh, again, Mm -hmm. he tried to make it for the masses as low uh, price but high quality as possible. And the research that I saw back in 1908, again, the Model T at that point was $825. But that in today's dollars is still only $24,000. So, and then every year after that, he actually lowered the price. And so he did that through, again, the assembly line and essentially systemically lowering costs, technical and business innovations. But I also found interesting, again, that we could apply, I think, in our businesses today in retail, especially supply chain. He was really a proponent of paying his workers one of the highest wages in the industry. Uh, He also Mm -hmm. was a proponent of reducing the work week. And in turn, he valued, this is back in 1908, of hiring and retaining the best workers possible to keep the company as strong as possible. I think that still resonates very well today. So uh, again, back to to his quote, you know, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. I believe, again, that especially in our supply chain today, it's important to continue to challenge ourselves, not look at what we can't do, but really look at what we can do and begin to continue to innovate and move the needle forward. Thank you very much. Thanks for adding on to that. Yes, I looked this up, and uh, the price of the touring car version was lowered to eight hundred fifty dollars in nineteen oh eight, from eight fifty to less than three hundred dollars in nineteen twenty five. Interesting. And today, you can buy a Ford Model T two door coupe classic. 1924 vintage for 11000 used on eBay, and you can buy a 1950 Ford Model T on eBay for $14,000. Who knew? Talk about keeping things and not getting rid of the old stuff, right, Ward? There you go. So let's move one more slot around the table. Prafel Karanth already told us a little bit about his quote, but let's read it anyway. It's from Buddha, Guatama Buddha, 563 or 480 to 483 or 400 BCE, known as Siddhartha Gautama in Sanskrit or Siddhartha Gautama in Pali. I have all kinds of interpretations. Or simply the Buddha. He was a monk, a mendicant, sage, philosopher, teacher, and religious leader on whose teachings Buddhism was founded. Here's the quote. All that we are is the result of what we have thought. That really goes very hand-in-hand with the Henry Ford quote. Prof, will just tell us a little bit more about your quote, please? Yes, uh, uh, Bonnie, I think uh, this this quote is very applicable. I think it's very applicable to what even Chris mentioned is what it comes down to me. And I would add a couple of words after that is not only what we have thought, but also do. So it's and do Um, is that in any journey, it's not about, you know, one is how do you get yourself from a thought process thinking in terms of that desire, determination, and discipline that I was talking about. But how do you get an entire in business, an entire organization behind the same thought? Um, so there is more, you know, from a, from, a, from, a, from a philosophy perspective, whatever initiative that your organization is trying to do, it's about more about, you know, what you're thinking and moving the organization along with that, and then the execution part of it. And I think where we talk about collaboration, the collaboration in today's world goes really not just within your four walls, but globally, outside, in other partners that are working with you. Um, and so it's about really 
making sure that the, with the end in sight, you have to get a, a pretty large group of stakeholders, both internal and external, and get them to a mindset that we can do this, and then obviously the, the, the thing of doing it. But uh, based, uh, you know, in terms of what I mentioned, it is about achieving that level of enlightenment starts with the mindset of thinking of what you want to achieve. Thank you very much. Good quotes all around. I appreciate it. I was thinking, uh, Ward, we were talking about about some of the innovations, some of the policies that Henry Ford instituted at his company about higher pay. Uh, I think there's an item in the news, and I know we don't get political here on Game Changers, but an item in the news yesterday and today about one of the Disney heirs visiting Disneyland undercover and being very upset about the pay disparity from the lowest park workers to hmm, who's getting hmm, a year. So that's an interesting uh, making sure that your workers are treated well, and we could call it worker experience or worker intimacy. So there is just something in the news that you can all look up if you want to. We're going to get to know our panelists just a little bit more before we go to break. So Chris Cagliari, two quick questions. Where in the world are you calling us today from, please? And number two, what's your favorite drink that powers you? I am in steamy New York City today, where it's, I think, 90 Mm -hmm. degrees, and I'm not sure about the humidity. And right now, I wish I was drinking a caipirinha. Uh, It's nice and refreshing, and having grown up in Brazil, it always brings fun memories of uh, Brazil and France. How do you spell that? C-A-I-P-I-R-I-N-H-A. Carapina. I'm looking it up. I see it. It's Brazil's national cocktail made with cachaca, cachaça, sugar, and lime. Cachaça. Mm -hmm. Cachaça. Any one of a multitude of traditional names, Brazil's most common distilled alcoholic beverages. Beverage, uh, half a lime cut into four wedges, two teaspoons of brown sugar, and one and two-thirds ounces of cachaça. Very interesting. And you muddle it. Ooh, that sounds like a fun drink. I'm looking at pictures, and I'm ready for one right after the show, I promise. Okay, thank you very much, Chris. That was a new one. We love unusual drinks. Ward Dingman, where art thou, and what art thou? loving to drink if not right at this moment later sure Bonnie I am also in a steamy summer day and outside of Hartford Connecticut today Uh, at least it's not raining like it was most of the spring and as for uh, favorite drinks uh, nothing too fancy for me anything with alcohol in it is usually a a winner but uh, enjoy a good wine like most uh, usually a cab and most recently a couple of the vineyards of choice have been uh, Reverie which is a very small private uh, vineyard out in Napa and then of more popularity recently is Plump Jack enjoy cabs from both those places and also if I'm having a rough day which doesn't happen that often I also wouldn't mind mm-hmm. having a, a, a split, splish it up a gentleman jack with a splash of seven up in it as well oh that sounds refreshing thank you and Profil Corinth where are you today and what's your favorite drink tell me something interesting uh, yes Bonnie I'm actually <clears throat> outside of Chicago um, and my favorite drink really depends on where the sun is um, probably sunrise it's probably a nice cup of latte um, and then mm-hmm. once it tends to sundown I love a, a nice single malt sounds very very That's good hot. thank you very yep. much yes any particular brand Pruffle of the single malt um, I've always enjoyed the, the less peaty ones but uh, I, I, there's a lot of Japanese scotch whiskeys that I am uh, either have had but find it too expensive to buy or have not had and want to try it so um, 
my ideal trip would be a whiskey tour in Scotland and probably maybe one in Japan. Thank you very much. Good to know. And gentlemen, I was just looking uh, as I'm tweeting some of your remarks on air. I noticed an article popped up. I think you'll find this interesting. It's by Dan Gingis, G-I-N-G-I-S-S, a contributor to the CMO Network. He says, I write about how a remarkable customer experience can be your best marketing. And the article is entitled, Why an Emoji is Worth a Thousand Words in Customer Service. And he says that consumers are more and more using emojis to express their confidence compliments and complaints just like they're texting to a friend. I'm just going to leave that one on the table. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I'm here in always hot and steamy Durham, North Carolina. Moved here about a year and a half ago and still have not gotten used to the fact that summer starts in May. And when I do take my car out, because I work from my radio from my home studio here, when I do take my car out, usually on Thursdays and Fridays, the car thermometer after I get out of the garage, it says 101 degrees. It's hot here in Durham. I am not allowed to have any caffeinated beverages nor alcoholic beverages, I will say, on radio show days. And today is a doubleheader. Already did a show earlier this morning. Yesterday was a doubleheader. So all they let me have, gentlemen, is cool, clear water. And it's fine. It refreshes, wets my whistle, as they say, and keeps me going so I can talk for another hour with the three of you. We're talking today here on Game Changing Retail Leaders Radio, presented by SAP. We're talking about Achieving Nirvana, Consumer Experience Meets Consumer Intimacy. And we're finding out the definition of what this all means in terms of a seamless, frictionless supply chain. If you're going to deliver what your customers want, when they want it, where they want it, your supply chain has to be up to speed and up to snuff. We're speaking with Chris Calieri at Tory Birch, Ward Dingman at Bob's Discount Furniture, and Profil Corinth at SAP. Another shout out to the sponsor of this series, Stephen Sparrow at SAP. We're going to take a quick break so don't even think of touching that mouse that app that dial whatever you're using 90 seconds we'll be right back Aaron out become our friend on facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash voice america Seismic shifts occurring across all consumer-facing industries are driving traditional retailers and brands to radically rethink their business models. A new breed of leaders is emerging who have the courage, conscience, and creativity to champion innovation in their organizations. Game-changing retail leaders brings you insights from these radical change agents who anticipate the future, recognize macro trends, and snap their companies out of the past. They drive fundamental strategic strategic and structural transformations within their organizations to create new business models. They innovate game-changing partnerships, cultural shifts, sustainability strategies and technologies to create new consumer value propositions. Tune in to the Business Channel to hear from retail leaders who are driving radical innovation and transformative change within their companies to evolve their strategy on customer engagement and the overall customer experience. Game-changing retail leaders Presented by SAP. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. 
listening to Game Changing Retail Leaders, presented by SAP. You're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Game Changing Retail Leaders. Yes, indeed. And we are talking to three game-changing retail leaders, Chris Calieri, Tori Birch, Ward Dingman, spelled with two N's on the end, Bob's Discount Furniture, and Proffel Corinth at SAP. And I'm still Bonnie D. Graham, talking today about achieving nirvana, consumer experience meets consumer intimacy, talking about how do you keep your supply chain powering your business to achieve that great customer experience. Chris Calieri told me a lot of interesting things before the show. We're going to read one of his notes here. Then Chris will tell us about it for about two and a half minutes, and then we will invite Ward to chime in and then profit and see where this takes us. So Chris said the following, European players have been able to drive more flexibility and agility given the existence of manufacturing in the EU. I'm going to stop right there and let you finish this, because this is very provocative. Chris, tell me more. Yeah, so if, if, if you think about the retail business, in a sense, we're kind of in the business of making bets on what consumers will, will want and like, um, and that's tough to do. Sometimes you're wrong. Sometimes you're uh, wrong for different reasons. Sometimes you're wrong because you thought they would like it and they don't, and then you end up with excess inventory. Other times, you didn't think it was going to be such a hit, and it is an absolute killer, and you just cannot react into it fast enough. So if I just take the example of something where you take the bets off, where you're really responding to a customized product where the, the customer basically spelled out what they wanted. I think in the U.S., one of the challenges that we have is because we've lost a lot of that manufacturing capability here in the U.S., you know, the lead times are a little bit longer, even if you're flying in product uh, from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I think to the degree that we want to try to be in the business of of, uh, improving the quality of our bets or to be able to deliver on things that are not really a bet but responding to a a specific consumer request in the U.S., uh, I think over time as an industry, we're going to have to think about what are some of the capabilities that we can or should bring back, whether it's in the U.S. or or at least, you know, near shore so that we can Mm -hmm. have some of that flexibility where I can respond to you not in weeks, but in days. Very interesting. Thank you. I, I really wasn't expecting anything like that in the conversation. Thank you, Chris. Ward Demon, talk to us. Agree or disagree with this interesting observation from Chris about European flexibility and agility in manufacturing. What do you think, Ward? Uh, I'm not going to disagree with him on, uh, I think his knowledge of what's going on in Europe is stronger than mine, but to his point of having that in market in Europe at the, uh, you know, closer to the consumers, I think is key for a lot of the reasons we'll talk to today. And is his point also about the U.S. unfortunately losing a lot of manufacturing, the only way we can make that up until that reshores itself again, instead of being in market, we have to then uh, compete against that with speed to market. And that gets back to accelerating everything in your supply chain from the planning and forecasting and certainly the execution and, and, and so forth. So just keep in mind, again, like a lot of companies out there, people do a lot of sourcing from Asia as we do. Uh, if you bring it into the West uh, Coast through long Beach, you you may have less than 20 days to get it from port to port. That's really not that long as long as you can execute and plan your supply chain appropriately. So maybe not quite the same as being in market in the U.S., but it's Mm -hmm. uh, not that long if you can get your uh, systems and uh, processes in line. 
And and Ward, uh, Profil, I'm going to get you in a second, but Ward, I'm looking at your notes and you add something to this. You say global volatility is the new normal due to resources, geopolitical issues, labor changes, capabilities. The supply chain has never been more complex to manage. So I think that goes along with what we're talking about. You agree? Absolutely. That's been my uh, really whole life so far. I had Bob's here and even before I came here in terms of just managing the supply chain. Again, the uh, not to get political, but obviously we've experienced, as most companies, the tariffs and the impact mm-hmm. of that. And as a result, a lot of the production has shifted just to keep the price where we need it to from China to Vietnam. And then through that process, it's been no- nothing but disruptive to the supply chains from within uh, Vietnam. Even existing factories lost um, labor to uh, companies that were or other manufacturing plants that were easier to work in. So the existing ones were disruptive. New ones weren't ready to go yet. And then on top of that, you have a lot less ports and uh, less developed infrastructure to bring product from. And all this happened in an accelerated manner and matter of months with a significant number of U.S. companies doing the same thing. So, And we're still feeling the ramifications of that. We're in much better shape, but there's still a lot of work to do to kind of unwind a lot of that that has occurred. Thank you. Praffel, join us. We've got a lot of interesting information on the table here. Complexity and where is the manufacturing in relation to the delivery point, to the distribution, the warehouses, the customer. What's your observation? Yeah, no, uh, Bonnie, I think Chris is absolutely spot on. Um, When I think of, you know, the three things come to mind, visibility, collaboration, and speed to market. And everybody knows the story, but, you know, Zara's um, in Spain I think New York Times called it mind-spinningly supersonic speed. Uh, what that means really is the fact that if you can go from a couture design to manufacturing to get it to your store within two weeks of an original design first appearing on a catwalk, and that compared to average of six months um, in fashion that probably this is obviously much more knowledgeable about it. But when I look at that speed, a lot of it is because they're vertically integrated. They have their own manufacturing. They're, they're, they're uh, uh, stitching. Everything happens as soon as they're here. They, you know, they've, they've really gained the fact that when they do their manufacturing, they allocate 50% of their production to something that is not yet in the pipeline. They wait for it at the time of the fashion, in the middle of a fashion season. Only 20% of their production is, uh, is, is committed to, at the beginning of the season, six months in advance. So with that kind of flexibility and agility, um, you know, you, you have to react to see what the consumers are looking for. So in fashion, what's coming down the catwalk then catches a mm-hmm. consumer sentiment that shows it's trending and uh, the ability to then um, take that uh, and convert that into a product that consumers want because the attention span and the need for that product is only going to be that much time. And if you can't meet that demand in that timeline, it's going to, uh, you're going to lose that sale. Thank you very much. Good conversation around the table. Chris, thank you for the good topic. I'm going to move on to a couple of notes here from Ward. Uh, two things, Ward. I'm, not, I'm going to let you pick. I don't usually do this, but they're both hot topics. You say labor will become more of a scarce resource, and you also say how companies analyze and utilize their data will further separate the leaders. So I'll let you pick where you want to go, Ward. 
Uh, sure. We'll talk uh, labor. I think that's ultimately important um, for a lot of reasons, right? So, uh, number one, as I alluded to earlier, we're seeing labor issues that we're impacted by over with the shift from essentially this point in China to Vietnam. And as I mentioned, some um, labor issues within Vietnam itself with existing plants, trying to find a better plant to work. As a result, that has con- uh, uh, significantly disrupted supply chain planning um, and uh, you know, ETAs that we're dealing with here. And so we're seeing that and feeling that significantly. So there's labor globally that's being affected along those lines. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of publications, you know, over the last year or so certainly have talked about just the challenge today in the U.S. to find um, talented people, whether it should be truck drivers, which continue to be in high demand for really middle mile and transfer operations that are critical in getting product and goods from point A to point B, and then also just uh, within warehouses and certainly the competition, you know, that Amazon has spurred along with other retailers for qualified uh, associates to work in the warehouse, a very critical position to in that final mile uh, stage to get the, the product to the customers. And it, you know, again, I, I would uh, assume that at this point, it's not just finding people, it's getting the right people. But more importantly, once we get them in the door, we have to retain those folks. So it's really incumbent upon the companies to continue to develop those people, create a great working environment and give them an opportunity to be promoted from within in order to have kind of a, a long career with those companies. I think those will be significant differences between the leaders and the laggers in the industry. Thank you. Very interesting. Profil, join us, please. What are your observations? Yeah, absolutely. I think, as Ward mentioned, uh, one of the things that we're we're working with retailers, and this more applies to the non-fashion, it's more on the heavy goods industry. So you think of furniture, you think of home appliances, you think of consumer, big consumer electronics, bedding, um, you know, the pelotons of the world where you're doing more home deliveries. Uh, the last mile and white glove service is really an overlooked and underdeveloped capability that really will separate the retailers from its competitors. It is, you know, we talk about consumer intimacy, we talk about the experience of that customer, and what more, um, what what better place to really build that touch point uh, than in a consumer's home? They, they deliver furniture or an appliance and you're sitting in the kitchen or in the living room and the family room. And, um, you know, we will hear stories like the drivers are not professional, they smell of smoke. That had nothing to do with the product, but it, it really did impact the experience. Uh, somebody wanted to buy a table lamp when they bought a furniture and they say they would like that and the person is unable to fulfill that need uh, or a garbage disposable disposal is not working, and they're not able to fulfill that need, and so the consumer leaves with with a, a, a not as good as an experience, even though the retailer may have had delivered the product without damage at the right place at the right time. So that is an area that I find um, where uh, a lot of retailers have outsourced that capability to third parties, and that in itself is not that bad but the point is is that last touch that high touch the retailers are not able to capture that consumer's experience on that particular delivery route that they can then address that may or may not have nothing to do with your operations uh, it's also consumers are 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 have expressed frustration in the fact that um, they cannot select the delivery windows you know between 
8 and 5 is no more acceptable. Between 8 mm-hmm. and 10, absolutely, but I may not be available. So providing, giving delivery and having it customer controlled is another area that um, in this whole last mile delivery um, is becoming, and, and retailers are recognizing this. Uh, you know, in several conferences that I've attended, uh, a significant number of retailers like Bob's and others are looking in that and saying, how do we make that consumer for life once they bought the product, it may be a delivery, it may be an upsell opportunity, and so <laughs> that is an area that's, um, in, in, as I view this, is uh, maybe not overlooked, but definitely underdeveloped. Thank you. Very interesting. Chris Cagliari at Tory Burch, join us. Thoughts on what is it going to take? What do you think? Yeah, so one comment on on what Ward was saying, and I think it's just putting a little bit of a different spin on it. I Mm -hmm. I think for some of the capabilities that we'll need in retail in the future, you're talking about, um, you know, folks who are very strong in in analytics and, um, you know, fields like artificial intelligence and stuff like that. And I'm not sure that those types uh, actually necessarily want to work in a retailer. I think a lot of these guys are in high demand and they want to work in a startup where they, you know, can potentially become millionaires or, or something in, 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 you know, a few years. So um, I think it's not going to just be about the talent that we have, but it's about figuring out how do you work and how do you maintain the sort of ecosystem of partnerships and, and making that successful versus the model of, you know, I must have the, the talent within kind of my four walls. And I, I think it's just something that's it's going to be a bit of a challenge that we'll have to kind of think through. Um, as it relates specifically to some of the points around, you know, data, um, and perhaps going back a little bit to my earlier point that in retail, you're in, in the business of, of kind of making bets. Uh, and there's challenges in terms of how do we get better information about our customers and what they want and understand their specific requirements. So it's how do you better use data and attributes uh, to better understand them? Uh, or it's data availability to help you to react to changes in the quality of your bed. So uh, if a particular product is not working particularly well, how do I take that information and understanding back all the way up to my uh, raw material purchases to potentially shift to someone else that I think based on the information available might have a better chance of performing and how do I provide that information also into design so they can kind of rethink perhaps some of their ideas so I think we're getting challenged in lots of different ways Um, and some of the skill sets um, you know we may not necessarily be able to have within the four walls to help us to solve some of these challenges. Thank you very much good around the table Uh, let's go back to Ward anything you want to add to that it was a good topic. No, as it uh, relates to uh, the analytics and so forth that, that Chris mentioned, again, I, I, I have a similar viewpoint on that as well, but I, I just find it interesting, right? I've been in uh, a couple furniture companies over the last few years or more, and even in furniture, to his point, um, I think it's sexy to get into some dot-coms, make some more money, but we are, um, in any company, especially even in furniture, looking at data. So data is, you know, like most companies, abundantly available, but meaningful information usually isn't, and there's a reason now that leading universities such as Ohio State actually offer degrees in data analytics. And then companies, as I alluded to, that I've been at lately, have people that are chief data scientists. And so really taking Mm -hmm. that data, using predictive analytics and machine learning and so forth, and trying to drive actionable results, ultimately to provide a better value and intimacy back to our customers again. 
Thank you very much. Profil, I want to talk about something here. We uh, we haven't been focusing on in-store or click-and-mortar or the online experience. You have something very interesting here in your notes. Let's see if we can talk about this because we're almost at the predictions round. But I want you to explain this to us. You say stores are reimagining beyond traditional showrooming into omni-channel hubs with changing store formats to enhance the customer experience. So what kinds of changes are we seeing in the retail environment, physical or virtual? Profil? Yeah, uh, Bonnie, I think, you know, there's obviously, uh, you know, there are, um, you know, we are talking about getting consumers uh, closer to, or retailers getting closer to consumers, uh, especially in what we've seen in needs-based retailing. So think of the the Walgreens, the Walmarts, where it's a it's a requirement to I need that product now, um, and this is probably where they are betting against the Amazon until Amazon goes and acquires uh, you know a large retailer with more stores, uh, but or starts opening up their fulfillment centers as customer pickup centers, but there it's all about how can I get this in the next fifteen minutes, in the next eight minutes, in the next nine minutes, which typically deliveries. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we know Amazon spending a significant amount of money they announced for same-day delivery, but I wanted the next 15 minutes. So stores <laughs> are becoming mini warehouses, um, and and what is happening today is is that they are trying to provide that experience that it's not just about a product, but it's about the experience. So there are retailers today that are opening up beverage centers or kid play areas or. Uh, virtual using um, artificial uh, or virtual reality salons in, in, in selecting the product and playing around with it. So they get more than a product. And a great example is IKEA just uh, is opening up a store in, in Manhattan. And traditionally, they've had a larger footprint. Traditionally, they've had a big barrier around where the product customers come up and pick up products. And they're reimagining the stores to say, walk in through our stores physically, virtually, buy what you want, and we'll have to deliver it to your house the next day. So they're really doing an entire, an entirely touchless purchase. But so, they, so the stores are now becoming not just a place to, for, for people to come in and buy, but also experience, and, and using technology even influence some of those purchasing decisions while the consumers at the moment of commerce, while they're in the store. All I can say is, wouldn't it be lovely? <laughs> I've had such strange and disappointing experiences with retailers down here in the Raleigh-Durham area since I moved here, Profil, where I, I was prepared to spend thousands of dollars on something, whether it was a, a, a new bed or a bedroom set or, or a tile or a kitchen redo or something, and you don't get callbacks, they don't show up on time, they don't do the, the installation right, uh, they ignore you, they put the order together wrong, they're a it, it, it just I think the message has to trickle down okay I'm not picking on my community but let's just leave it at that thank you Profil I'm going to go around the table and we've got 60 seconds that's it for each of you just barely for your prediction and what's going to change about this quest for retailers to achieve nirvana meaning consumer experience meets consumer intimacy we've already defined that around the table Chris Calieri love to get your thoughts from Terry Birch and what do you see coming up or down the pike or down the road in the next oh five years or five minutes Chris Cagliari, prediction, 60 seconds, go. Um, I, I would say that one of the 
uh, sort of predictions tied to uh, consumer interest would be uh, around sustainability. And I do believe that what has been something of appeal to a small fraction of consumers or what has or has in some cases been a, a unique differentiator for a brand, within the next five years, I see that really becoming table stakes to be able to you know, provide a, a much better footprint uh, to consumers. Thank you very much. Ward Dingman at Bob's Discount Furniture. What do you see in the crystal ball? Ward? Well, uh, first, on a personal note, I think the Cleveland Browns will finally win a Super Bowl in a couple <laughs> of years, maybe this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> keeping it to the supply chain, though, Bonnie, I, I, the things that we just touched upon, actually, I think will be really advancing. They already have, and that's specifically around artificial intelligence, machine learning within the supply chain. Uh, today, we're re- uh, utilizing a lot of those technologies for predictive analytics to improve the forecasting, the throughput timing, and really the machine learning to assess customer service trends and issues before we uh, before we realize that they become a bigger issue. I think these areas are only to become more and more sophisticated, and as a result, we're going to see less human interaction, uh, would maybe do more exception management, and I think that's going to make the entire supply chain cleaner and more efficient going forward. Thank you. It would be a beautiful world. And Profil Karanth, I saved full 45 seconds for you. Go ahead. Knock yourself out. Yeah, so in, in, as I look at this, it's really about how retail is going to get faster and faster and faster. And as Chris said, things are going to become stable stakes. The fact that you're going to walk into a store, uh, it's about how, they, how does the store know you are there and how they know what you're feeling. Um, you know, people use some retailers, and this is not table stakes today, but some people use biometrics to see is the consumer happy or sad at the moment. Could be for a variety of reasons, but the ability to, for retailers to take their store associates and make them uh, really understand the consumer better based on how they're feeling, um, that's going to become very critical to make an engaging conversation based on what they want and become advisors while they're in the store. Uh, because if they don't, the business is going to go to a, a large online uh, store, uh, an online uh, co- a company that we know. What's also going to be driving is the fact that you're going to use um, VR. And, and if somebody has coded that, you know, unless, you know, beauty and health products is a great example where, the Amazon, the, the, the retailers felt Amazon, you know, people needed to touch and feel a product. There is, some of that is going away with technology. So technology is going to drive some of the decision making and the thought process of where they're going to go. Um, but again, I come back to my quote is the organization's got to look at this. Um, they have to be get behind it. And then the execution's got to be faster. Otherwise, it's going to become something that everybody else is doing. So thank um, you. Really we got to run. We got to run. Thank you for your thoughts. Sorry to cut you off. We're out of time. I want to say thank you to Stephen Sparrow for putting together another stellar panel. Very smart gentleman. Thank you so much for your expertise and insights. Thank you to Aaron Keller at World Talk Radio, our engineer extraordinaire at the Business Channel. And I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here is my sign-off. Fasten your seatbelt. I wonder where it's manufactured and how fast I can get it customized. Hmm? What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Just like Chris Calieri at Tory Birch. Thank you, Chris. Just like Ward Dingman at Bob's Discount Furniture. Pleasure to meet you as well. And just like Profil Caranth at SAP, thank you for working so hard to put together this panel and for the uh, topic. We really appreciate it. Everybody have a great day. Talk to you next week on Game Changers Radio. Bye-bye. 
Thanks again for tuning in to Game Changing Retail Leaders, presented by SAP. The best run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.